And if you were not with us last week, we were in lesson number seven, but we only covered half of that lesson. So if you did not pick up that lesson, Janice, do you still have some copies of that? If you don't have a lesson seven uh, and you need that because you weren't here last week, uh, she has those in the back. So if you, anybody needs a lesson seven, Janice, hold your hand up so they can, uh, back there. They're, they're in an eight. Eight's next week. This is seven. We're on seven. Seven is, we're, we covered half of seven last week, and we're covering the other half this week. And eight will be next week. Lord will it. All right, everybody get you a copy. Everybody get a copy of it so you have it. Now, if you're there, you can turn over to about the third page of the lesson we just to summarize the lesson we talked about that it is how men of old gained approval is how they did it was by faith. And then we went through the illustrations that are given there at the beginning of Hebrews 11 of each person, how they gained approval. Abel gained approval because he worshiped by faith and his offering was received by God. And then we had Enoch, who was one who walked with God. He was, and then he walked with God, and then, and then you end up having the one who worships, the one who walks, and Noah becomes the one who works as he built the ark. And each one of them had something special that they did, whether it was the walk or the worship or the work they did, but each one of them did it by faith. And that's why they're included in God's Hall of Fame or the chapter on faith here in Hebrews 11. Now, picking up from there, we'll be going and we're looking at further at Hebrews 11, this God's Hall of Fame list, and we'll be looking, focusing primarily on one family tonight that will exemplify these same traits, but in kind of a unique, unique way. I've been giving you illustrations of the life of faith and seeing God do some marvelous things, and tonight I wanted to share about an experience I had in, when I was pastoring at Hillcrest and Enterprise. Uh, at Hillcrest and Enterprise, there was a group of us... Um, men and women who gathered together on Monday mornings and, um, and we prayed uh, before we ever went to work. We'd get together and we'd pray in the chapel. It wasn't a large group. I, I don't remember, about eight or ten of us who would get together and pray. And one particular man that, uh, that prayed with us, his name was Mike. And Mike and I had a special relationship because when I was in college, I was in Mobile and I went to uh, uh, the church, Cottage Hill Baptist Church there. And at that time, Mike was working. He was older than I was. And he was working in Mobile, but he went to Cottage Hill as well. And so uh, even though it was a large church, our paths crossed each other. And we'd gotten to know each other there. And so years later, I go to be the pastor over here in Enterprise, Alabama. And of all things, there's Mike. He is, uh, he's there, and, and we uh, have our friendship. He's a single man. At that time, but as we uh, went through our journey together, he, uh, we prayed for him a, a, a mate, and, and the Lord gave him a mate. Her name was Wanda, and Mike was a little bit older at, as far as getting married. He was in his thirties, probably mid thirties by that time, of uh, and and his wife was as well. And whenever they uh, got married, of course, immediately they wanted to have children. But they couldn't have any. They went to uh, they went to the doctors and went to specialists and went to all kinds of people and and it was pretty well told them that they wouldn't wouldn't be able to have children more than likely. 
But I remember taking Mike and Wanda. Mike and Wanda both came to see me one time, and I encouraged Mike to come through our prayer time, and they came to visit with me. And we talked about this walking the life of faith and, and that God is the one who determines life and, and death. He's the one who's the giver of life. And, and, and believe what God says rather than what uh, the medical profession says. I'm not opposed to the medical profession, but I'm saying God's in charge of some of those things beyond them. Amen? And so believe what God says. And I told them at that point, I said, you need to search for a word from God. You need to look for a promise. And if God gives you a promise, then no matter what the circumstances might be, if God tells you that he's going to answer that prayer, he'll answer that prayer. So they began to diligently search for a promise regarding that. And in their minds, they're thinking they're going to have to adopt. They're going to have to do something other than have children but I'll never forget, on, on one of those occasions, on a Monday morning, Mike came in, and he was kind of glowing, and he, and he came up to me, and he says, he said, God gave us that promise. God gave us that promise. I don't remember what the promise was at this time, but I, I just remember how excited he was that God had given them a promise about having a child. And just to make a long story short, it, I don't know, it was a couple months later, Wanda became pregnant, and then they had one baby. And then they had two babies. And we were just checking. I, I, I told Lynn, I said, I can't remember if had two or three. I just remember they kept having babies. But we looked, she looked up on Facebook for me today, and they had two children now. And they're, one's in their 20s, and the other's, I guess, late teens or something like that. But there was a couple that was told, you're not going to have children. It's not going to be possible late in that childbearing years as far as uh, that time of having it. But whenever God gave them that word, they began to believe God for that word, and they, they had two children. Those kind of things happen over and over and over again. That's because why? Because you're looking to find your answers from God. What, what, what does God say? You know? Now, that, that doesn't mean that every person is going to have children who was barren at that time. I don't mean to say that. But God will either give you a word about that or he'll give you a word of promise that will give you the grace and strength to handle whatever situation you're in. But let God be the one who determines that. Let God be the one who reveals that truth to you based on what he gives in his word. And that's why you search the word of God in order to find the answers that God would give. And those stories, I'm sure in your life, if you've walked that life of faith, you've gotten promise from God, I'm sure there's story after story that you could share in fact, I like to hear those stories sometimes. If you can't tell me personally, write those stories down of how God answered your prayers. God gave you a promise. I, I'd love to have those because I'd love to be able to share them with other people of how God used you and God used His Word and promises to bring about miraculous things in your life. All right. Let's look here on this page uh, of the study where at the very top of it it says, these things which every believer should be seeking to do, worship God, walk with God, and work for God, we'll pick up right after there. Hebrews 11 clarifies that each is done by faith. This next section of people listed in Hebrews 11, remember that's listed through chapter 7, I mean through verse 7. We're picking up now in verse 8. So this next section of people listed in Hebrews 11 is actually one family, right? Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Through the writer of Hebrews, we understand that this family experienced some miraculous things as they journeyed with God by faith. 
to say the least, it must have been an exciting household to be a part of as they watched God do the impossible. Don't you think being a part of Abraham and Sarah's household would have been kind of fun? <laughs> I mean, they're walking by faith. They're worshiping by faith. They're seeing the work of God be done by faith. I mean, their whole lives are based on faith. That's why Abraham is called the father of faith. That's why he's identified as he's the one who believed God and therefore was called the friend of God. You have to remember this is at the early part of of creation, the early part of establishing life, the early part of establishing a, a people of God, Abraham being that father of faith, and he's doing those initial steps and what marvelous things happen in his life, what marvelous things happen in Sarah's life. A unique parallel of these verses with those in the previous lesson, what we covered last week, is that both groups were doing the same three things, worshiping, Walking and working, all right? I, I don't know if you realize this. That's what you're called to do in this world. Did you all know that? You're called to walk in this world. You're called to worship God in this world. And you're called to do the work and fulfill the purposes of God in this world. And all of those are to be done by faith. Not by your strength, but by faith, all right? Now... Abraham and Sarah's experience seem to reach a higher level. Let's look at these parallels. Now, somebody might say, well, how can you reach a higher level than Enoch when you walk with God and you are no more? Well, you'll you'll see in just a moment how his is a different level because his walk with God is going to be extended into what God's going to tell him you have to do in order to follow me and to walk with me. Look at the first part of this. By faith, Abraham... When he was called, obeyed by going out to a place, not knowing where he was going. That's Hebrews 11.8, the very next verse. Let me read that again. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place, not knowing where he was going. Abraham obeyed God's command and began to walk to a place God promised to give him promise to give him. Listen now, if you study this account recorded in Genesis 12, you find out that God did not tell Abraham, or Abram, Abraham's name before it was Abraham, was Abram, where he was going. God commanded Abram to follow him to a land which God would give to him. Abraham walked by faith. Now think about this. God shows up, okay, to Abram, And he tells Abram, I want you to go to a land, a promised land, a land that I'm going to give to your lineage. I I want you to go to this place, but I'm not giving you a road map. I'm not telling you where where it is. Matter of fact, at that particular time, there wouldn't have been any road maps. Because this is all like a new world. No GPS. Some of you would have never gotten there. Even by faith, you would have never gotten there. You don't have a GPS, can't find my way home without the GPS. You know, some of you'd be lost. But he, tell, he tells Abram, you're to go to this land, but he does not tell him how to get there. He says, this is what you're to do. Follow me. Just follow me. 
So the key to walking and arriving at the place where God wanted him to be, the key to that walk was he did not need to lose God. He did not need to lose sight of God. God was going to be the one who's directing him where to go. God is going to tell him where to stop, where to start, where to stand. God is going to direct him along the way. And as long as he doesn't lose God, and how do you keep your sight on God? By faith. Faith relationship with God. As long as he doesn't lose God, he's going to be okay. All right? The end result was that Abraham's people inherited the land, and they still dwell there to this day. I've been there. They still dwell there to this day. Amen? <laughs> Abraham's walk by faith yielded a reward. So what is, what's the first thing you find out about Abraham and Sarah's life? Is that Abraham walked by faith. He walked by faith. From the very beginning, he walked and journeyed by faith. I want you to notice an important little side note right here that I give you on the next page. An important verse for us as we study about faith is Hebrews 11.9. It reads, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents. The reason this verse is important is that we must understand that the journey of faith is not always easy. Would you please underline that? In your text, the journey of faith is not always easy. That's why the faint-hearted do not get on that road. All right, you're not going to find, find the faint-hearted walking on the road of faith. Because it's not easy. It was not easy for Abraham. Abraham's journey of faith meant this. Listen, he lived as an alien in a foreign land. He was sent to a land that he, he didn't own anything in. He, he was a foreigner from there. He, he didn't even speak their language. But God said, this land is going to be your land. And in order for it to be your land, you're going to go there and you're going to live there. And you're going to live as a foreigner in that land. If any of you, now some of the, you have maybe been missionaries. I, I know, I see back in the back, Rachel and them, been missionaries. That, how many of you have ever been to a mission trip to a foreign country? All right, you, you've been there? I want to tell you something. When you go to a land that you don't know the language and you don't know the culture, you don't know everything, after about eight or ten days, you about go nuts. Because you don't know what they're saying, you don't understand what they're saying, you don't fit in the culture and everything. It just doesn't, just doesn't work right. Could you imagine the fact that Abraham was sent to a foreign land, not his homeland, not his place. He's sent to that place and said, this is your land. This is eventually going to be your people's land. This is where you stay. Wasn't easy to live as a foreigner there, but he did live as a foreigner. What about this one? What about this one? He dwelt in tents, not palaces. Do you know where he and Sarah lived? In a tent. How many of you wives will be happy? And saying, well, you're, you're, hun, hun, we're going to go to a, a new land over there. It's going to be a beautiful land. It's a wonderful land. God gives us it. And we're going to live the whole time in a tent. Uh-huh. It might be okay to go to a tent to go camp out and have a little fun, but how many of y'all want to live in a tent? All, all their days. All their time. 
They never got a palace. They never built a beautiful home. They lived in a tent the whole time in that foreign land. All right. Not only that, this type of life continued for a number of generations. In other words, it wasn't short-lived. Most of us can tolerate something for a few minutes, can't we? Man, I can grin and bear it for a while, but not grin and bear it long. What if you're going to grin and bear it for all of your life? For all the generations? So, it, it tells us that it wasn't an easy journey. Lived as an alien, dwelt in tents, not palaces. This type of life continued for a number of generations. The call to live by faith may mean that your journey as an alien, that you journey as an alien and spend more time in tents than in palaces, but there is no life like the life of faith. Why? Because the reward of faith is not what you gain or accumulate in this life. That's in bold print. You hear, the reward of faith is not what you gain or accumulate in this life. If you're going to do that, you can go out there and live world. There's a lot of worldly people who've got a lot of things they've accumulated in this life. Because they've built towards their, this is their life. This is their place. This is where they are. A journey of faith may take you a totally different direction. You may live in a tent rather than a palace. And that may be your lot in life. That may be where you're called. But hold on a second. The reward is not what you're going to gain or accumulate. The reward is the journey. That's, that's the reward. The journey. The journey of getting to walk with God. Of worshiping God. Of, of seeing God do something. That's the journey. And that's the reward. You know, one of my favorite sayings is, is life is what you're doing while you're waiting for life to start. You, you, you hear that? Life is what you're doing while you're waiting for life to start. Isn't that the way we live a lot of times? Man, I tell you what, whenever I get this, this paid off, or when I get this done, or when I get that done, man, life will really begin then. Well, when I get those kids all raised and get them out of college, and we got all those things, man, life will really start then. I want, I want to just tell you something. Life is what's going on while all that's happening. So you better start enjoying it. You better start enjoying it. And you better realize that the reward of faith is the journey itself. And watch God do what God's going to do. Listen to what it says, Luke 10. I mean, uh, Hebrews eleven ten. Look at verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What was Abraham doing? He wasn't looking for his own palace. He was looking for a city that God built. Where is that going to be? Not of this world. Not of this world. Listen, do you see what Abraham's life and walk was all about? His goal was not to possess a land. His goal was to look for and seek that city, the holy city, which God designs and builds. All he wants to do is to find that place where God has built. And that's not talking about in this world. That's talking about in the world to come. Are you seeking that city? Are you seeking that place? Is that where you're longing for? Is that where you ultimately look for your reward to be? Not of this world. Not of this world. All that we could accumulate in this world can be gone in a second. It can be gone in a moment. It can't. 
But wait a minute, put your treasures and your riches where it cannot be moth-eaten or rusted or anything else or stolen, amen? That's where Abraham was doing. He wasn't worried about living in a tent. He wasn't concerned about living in a tent because this wasn't where he was looking for. He's looking for that house and that building, that city that God builds, that God builds. Abraham never experienced on earth the reward of the promised land in its fullness. But do not feel sorry for Abraham because he ultimately received that which he had looked for, which is heaven. In other words, Abraham didn't, he didn't get to see all the fullness of what Israel is today. He didn't get to see all the glory of Israel in the reign of David and Solomon. He didn't get to see what his people would be when they would multiply as many as the sand of the sea. He didn't get to see that. But he got to go to heaven, amen? He wasn't worried about it whenever he had found that city that God had built. So we see that Abraham, he walked by faith. Look at the second thing. By faith, even Sarah, now Sarah gets into the mix. Sarah herself received ability to conceive. What is the greatest work that God gave women to do? Listen to this, women. This is true today just as much as any other day. What is the greatest work he gave, gave women to do? Go back to Genesis 1, 27, 28. And God created men in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The most important work of women is to bear children and to nurture these children. Of all other important things women do. And there are important things they do. They are still secondary compared to bearing children and being a mother. That's the most important work. Listen, if women get out of the bearing children mode, we're sunk. This is the last generation, amen? Because how do you procreate? How do you have the next generation? How are you? Because women bear children and raise their children. That's the great... That's the greatest work that you can imagine, that you can have the privilege that you have and enjoy. The problem that Sarah faced is that she was barren. Though she had longed for children and would gladly have accepted the work of rearing the children, she was unable to conceive. The time had passed for her to conceive, and her life, she thinks, will never include the joy of mothering. God has a different plan, and God calls Sarah to go to work. How? Hold on here. Turn, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19, 18. Genesis chapter 18. I, I love this. Is, the Bible is full of funny things. This, this is one of the funniest stories to me in the Bible. Genesis chapter 18. This is when the angels are coming. They're going to come, and they're going to talk to him about the doom of Lot. Remember, they, they come and visit Abraham. And Abraham prepares them a feast. And before they go, before they go, they've got a message to tell Sarah. Look at verse 9. It says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife shall have a son. Wow. And Sarah was listening at the tent door which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. 
And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and at this time next year, Sarah shall have a son. That's called a promise from God, amen? Can you miss that promise? That, that's a promise from God. Sarah is 89 years old. 89 years old when she gets this message, okay? I'm coming back, I'm coming back next year and Sarah will have a son. And what did she do? Laughed. And what was his name? Isaac. And what does Isaac mean? Laughter. <laughs> yeah. I think Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed, and everybody else laughed whenever they saw this 90-year-old have a baby and a 100-year-old man become a father. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Well, see, she thought, she thought that her work, she would never get to do her work. She, she thought she would never have that, but a miracle happened. She received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who promised. At 90 years of age, Sarah was given the most important work of her life. That is rearing up this son of promise, Isaac. Now, now I want to, do y'all think, think in pictures, do you think anything? But can y'all imagine, can y'all imagine when the baby cries? I mean, could you imagine? Here's a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man, and Isaac cries in the middle of the night. Can, can, you, can you imagine that, that he says to her, Hun, you need to get up. And she says, I will if you will help me. I mean, isn't that exactly what would have to be? Whoever's getting up, the other one's going to have to help them get out of bed. I, I can't even imagine what that is like. I, I can't imagine. But hold on a second. Is, is that possible except by faith? No. But are all things possible by faith and by the promise of God? Absolutely. So that family walked by faith to a place they've never seen before, and, and they worked by faith by rearing a little child of promise who's going to be the leader, head, the one through whom Abraham will have all of his lineage, the promised people. But you don't just walk by faith and work by faith, you also worship by faith. Listen to, listen to number three. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, this is eleven seventeen, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. This tremendous test of Abraham's faith is described by Abraham in these words. Whenever God told him to take Isaac and offer him on the altar of sacrifice. Uh, it's an amazing story of what, how that takes place, how it happens. It's in Genesis 22.5. Some of the amazing things is God tells him to get up and to go to the mountain of God and, and to offer him as a sacrifice. Do you know what it says in, in the first part of 22? It says, Abraham got up early. 
If you were going to go offer your son as a sacrifice, would you have gotten up early? Or would you have drugged your feet around? Thinking, hopefully, God's going to change his mind. Right? He gets up early. He takes his son. He takes the, he takes the knife. He takes the wood that's going to need it. And his servants go. And they go to the mountain of God. And at that point, when he comes to the mountain of God, he says something to the servants. He says, you remain here. The boy and I will go to the mountain and we will worship. And what? And we will return. We will worship and we will return. What's he going up on the mountain to do? What did God tell him to do? To offer him as a sacrifice. That means he's going to kill him. He's going he's to offer him on that sacrifice. But he says, what? We will worship, and what? We will return. None of us have ever been asked or challenged or tested like Abraham was tested. But what did Abraham do? He's going to do what God says by faith. And what is this an act of? It's an act of worship. This is a higher level of worship than most of us will ever experience. How could Abraham do such a thing? He did it by faith. He did it by faith. He's going to go and he's going to worship. He's going to do whatever God tells him to do. Even if it means offering his son on the altar of sacrifice, he's willing to do it. Abraham was able to worship because he knew some important truths and claimed some vital promises. Remember, faith is based on what? The promises of God. So what is he basing his worship of in faith and his act on? He's based on the promises of God. What are some of the promises? Look at the first thing. Number one, he knew that Isaac was the child of promise and that through him, through him, descendants of Abraham would be numerous. You remember the story? It's found in Genesis 18, 9 through 14 in there. You remember what the story was? There had been, Ishmael had been born to Hagar, remember? And when Ishmael was born, Abraham said, well, this is my son. This is, this is the son that I, that I have. And God says, no, Ishmael's not the son. Said so that's the son of your flesh. That's the son that you and that you and Sarah worked out to get with Hagar. I didn't plan on him. The child of promise will be through you and Sarah. The child of promise will be through you and Sarah. And, and he says, whenever he comes, when he comes, he'll be the one through whom you will have the lineage as many as the sand on the seashore. That's what he'd promised. That who's going to be the child? Who's the child of promise? Who's who's going to be the patriarch of the family, who's going to be the lead? It's going to be Isaac, not Ishmael. So, so he knows that God had promised him that his descendants would come through Isaac. Look at the second thing. He knew that for Isaac to have descendants, he must have life. If he dies up on that, if he dies up on that mountain, he's not going to have any babies. He's He's only a teenage boy probably at that time when he offers him on that altar of sacrifice. He hasn't got a family yet. He hasn't got a wife. He hasn't got children. He doesn't have any descendants. He has no lineage. There's only one way for him to be able to be the father of that nation, to be the promised one that God told him. He has to live. He has to be alive. 
So no matter what they do up on that mountain, no matter what takes place on that mountain, he knows Isaac has got to come down off of that mountain for the promises of God to be fulfilled. He knows that. Great faith. Look at the third thing. He believed that if God required the life of Isaac, in other words, if God literally said, you take and you offer your son as a sacrifice, then he believes that God would have to resurrect Isaac in order to fulfill his promises. He literally believes that. He believes, no matter what God tells me to do, it's not going to matter what God tells me to do. If he requires me to kill my son, he's going to resurrect my son. He's going to resuscitate my son because he's got to come off that hill with me because he's going to be the father of the nation. He's got to come off the hill with me. Now, somebody might say, well, wait, wait a minute. Why would he have such faith? He tells you in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 19, it says, Abraham considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead, for which he had also received him back as a type. You know, you know what Abraham knew? He knew that if God brought Isaac out of a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman, and they're way past any time to have children, if God could take a dead womb and bring forth a child, he could certainly bring a man back to life. And that he could resurrect him. Now, the wonderful thing about that story is he takes and ties up Isaac and is about to plunge him with a knife when he stops. The angels stop him. And the angels, if you go back to that story and look at it, it's literally the angels are saying, says, says, now we know, now we know, now we understand. God already knows what Abraham's going to do. But you know the heavenly host didn't. And what was happening is Abraham was revealing to the heavenly host what the faith he has in doing what God tells him to do. We, I now know that you will not withhold him from me. I know that you'll do by faith what I tell you to do. Why? Because Abraham knew that if God required it, that God would bring him back. Well, Abraham's journey up the mountain with Isaac to worship, they did worship. Yet God did not require Isaac, uh, Abraham to kill Isaac, but rather he provided a ram for the sacrifice. That, that's another part of that great, great part of that story, is as Abraham and Isaac are going up one side of the mountain, who's coming up the other side? A ram. Because why? Because they're going to need a ram to sacrifice. And he's Jehovah Jireh, isn't he? He's the God who provides. The God who provides. And can you see the joy of Abraham? Can you see the joy of Isaac? Can you see their experience as they take that ram and prepare it and offer it on an altar of sacrifice? Knowing that they have done what God asked them to do and knowing that they have worshipped by faith. They've worshipped by faith. Just as this family saw extraordinary things happen because they walked by faith and worked by faith and worshiped by faith, 
They're not to be peculiar. They are to be an example of what our lives are supposed to be like. We, we should see unusual things happen. Now, I know some of you, I, I read some of your minds right then. I, some of you ladies just said, I ain't wanting to have no baby at 90 years. Now, I ain't talking about that. But, but, but we should see unusual things happen because we walk by faith. What, what ushers all these things? What, what allows this to happen? What, what makes them unique? They all had faith in the promises of God. We're to live by that faith. Amen? Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Help us to learn to live by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.